Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my heart and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So you might have heard that about a month ago, uh, my wife Tracy and I, we, we um, embarked on a bit of a change in lifestyle. Before the change, I was a full-time office worker, and Tracy was a full-time mum, and she also squeezed in some part-time work when she could. Um, but now, we've basically switched roles. Uh, Tracy's become the full-time worker, and I've become a stay-at-home dad, and I get to look after the kids. So... One of my new jobs is to drop off the kids at their various preschools. And I found out the drop-off is not just about depositing children. It's a a lot about getting to know the other parents too, trying to match them to their children, trying to remember their names and what they do and where they live and also what they're interested in. And I guess this is kind of important because I figure I'm going to bump into them a lot over the course of the kids' uh, school years. Now, before all this, I'd been working at the same company for 17 years, and it had been a long time since I'd been in a situation where I had to get to know a bunch of strangers rather quickly. So what sort of questions do you ask when you want to get, you know, when you want to get to know people who are more or less strangers? Well, I think there are the standard things like, um, how are you? What's your name? What do you do? Do you live around here? Or in my case, who's your kid? But what do you ask if you want to know someone more than just factually? What do you ask if you really want to get to know someone? Well, um, a quick search on the internet led me to this article uh, called The 55 Best Questions to Ask to Break the Ice and Really Get to Know Someone. It's just what I was looking for. It was perfect. And it even grouped the questions into mild, medium, or hot. And I'm going to give you a few examples. 
So here's a few mild ones, and you could imagine that I'm, you know, going to use them at drop-off. Um, Hi, I'm Chris, Alex and Eloise's dad. Good to meet you. Then, you know, I guess there's a bit of chit-chat. And then I get to ask my questions, like, um, do you have any upcoming travel plans? That's fairly innocent, isn't it? Or, or I could ask, apparently, hey, so uh, what's your hidden talent? It's <laughs> a bit weird. Or there's this one. If someone could play you in a movie, who would you want it to be? I think that's one you should try at morning tea on each other. But that, they're just the mild ones. I could turn it up to medium and try something like, hi, I'm, I'm Chris, Alex and Eloise's dad. Good to meet you. Bit of chit-chat. And then hit them with the questions. Hey, what does, um, so what does success mean to you? Or uh, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your 18-year-old self? Or where's your happy place? And they'd be probably thinking anywhere but this conversation. But <laughs> should we go for hot? I don't know. For completeness sake, um, here we go. Here's some hot ones. Uh, hi, I'm Chris, Alex and Eloise's dad. Good to meet you. Chit-chat. And then what's something you'll say you'll do but never will? And I think that one doesn't just break the ice. It kind of vaporizes it as well. You could also ask something like, what are you most afraid of? Um, or you could ask, if you could have another go at life, what would you do differently? Who would ask that to a stranger? Well, I'm not going to, but I might ask you at morning tea. I think the thing was, it was an American article, so I don't know, maybe Americans are more into these things. But it got me thinking. What questions would I ask God if I wanted to get to know him? How do I actually get to know God? And not just know of God, but how do I really get to know God? Well, I think Psalm 19, our passage for today, has loads to say about that. So why don't we pray as we get started? Our Father, we thank you for giving us your word. And we ask that you help us to listen and understand to what Psalm 19 has to say to us. And we ask that you help us to change our lives accordingly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what does Psalm 19 say about getting to know God? Let's start at the top of the psalm. Why don't you turn with me to verse 1, where it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Have you ever looked up to a starry sky, a full moon, a sunrise or sunset, a clear blue sky, or the rolling clouds of a thunderstorm? Have you ever seen something like that that's been so amazing that you've just had to stop and wonder and say, wow? Well, the writer is saying that this is God screaming out to us. He's saying, I'm here and I made this. And it's, it's not just an occasional message for those wow moments. Let's have a look at verse 2 where it says, day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. It's a continual message every day and every night. You know, it's as if we don't, we don't really need to ask God questions 
to know that he's there because he's already created the heavens and the skies to continually remind us of his presence. This is God revealing himself to us. He's bombarding us with the message, I'm here and I made this. But who is this message for? Is it directed just to you and me? Let's go on to verses 3 and 4. It says, They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet, their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Well, the writer's saying that this message, God revealing himself, goes out to the entire world. It's directed at everyone. And the writer wants to emphasize this using the sun as an example. Can you see it with me in verses 5 and 6? He writes, In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Do you see it? Nothing is deprived of, its, of the sun's warmth. Everyone has experienced the warmth of the sun. And whether you've felt the warmth of the sun on a, on a cold day like today or have been, I don't know, blinded by, it, by its brilliance at some point, surely you've wondered, why is it there and who made it? Well, the psalm is pretty clear that God did. It's the work of his hands. And what, what gets me is... That if you think the sun, is it, the sun itself is incredible and magnificent, imagine the glory of the one who created it. But what does, what does creation say about what God is really like? I mean, does it talk about his personality? Does he have one? What's it like? Does he care about the world? Does he care about humanity? Does he care about you and me? Does he care about what we think of him? And if the psalm ended there, then maybe I would need to get out that list of icebreaker questions. Um, so, when Tracy and I swapped roles, I thought there was a good chance I'd get a bit, uh, a bit more, I don't know, spare time. But being the realist that I am, I suspected Tracy would want me to do something more productive with any new spare time that I found. But how was I supposed to know exactly what she wanted me to do? One option was to ask her, but let's be honest, talking's overrated. And she's probably too busy given now she works all the time, so I'd probably end up just with, you know, whatever's on her mind. And I'm not sure how much thought would have gone into it. So the next best option, I thought, would be to sit on the couch and imagine or guess Guess what she'd like me to do. After all, I know her pretty well. And I'm pretty confident that what I think she thinks is what she actually thinks, right? But luckily, or unluckily for me, she made, she made me a list <laughs> to tell me exactly what she wanted. Chris's to-do list was actually started months before we were due to swap roles. So I know a lot of thought went into it. And it's an online list too, so she can extend it as much as she likes. And these are some of the things on that list. 
do a tax return, update our will, clean the pantry and the oven, the laundry, dot, dot, dot. Install a house alarm. She knows I'm not very handy. Fix the front gate, and I tried that, but I made it worse. Convert the attic. If I can't fix the front gate, I don't know why convert the attic is there. <laughs> buy a piano, and that was okay. I can, I can buy things, but then there was also teach the kids to play the piano, and so I guess I always knew there'd be a catch. Um, and then teach the kids to read. She, she, she does know that they're in preschool. And the list goes on for, for quite a few more pages. Look, the point of that is not that I'm going to be quite a busy person over the coming year, but rather that I know what Tracy wants me to do because she's written it down. She's given it to me and I've read it. I don't have to guess. I don't get to imagine. It's there in all its digital glory. So when we were asking, does God have a personality and what's it like? Does he care about the world? Does he care about humanity? Does he care about you and me? And does he care about what we think of him? Well, that's why I think Psalm 19 turns the corner now and starts talking about written things like the law, statutes, precepts, commands, fear, and decrees. Let's pick it up from verse 7. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. What do these things the law, statutes, precepts, commands, fear and decrees all have in common? Well, I think that they are either spoken or written down, basically asking people to do something, and they all come from some sort of authority, and in this case, God's authority. When the writer talks about these things, he's talking about God's written instructions to us. So just like I don't have to guess or imagine what Tracy wants me to do because she's given me a written list, God has given us written instructions so we don't, we don't have to guess what he wants from us. He's given us the scriptures or the Bible, as we call it today. So what does the psalm tell us about God's instructions to us? In those verses we just read, the writer makes it clear that they are good have a look. They are perfect, trustworthy, and right. They are radiant and pure. They endure forever and are clear and firm. They sound like good instructions to receive, don't they? But not only are they good, the writer points out that they're actually for our benefit. Can you see it in those verses we just read? They refresh our soul. They make us wise and bring joy to our hearts. They give us direction by bringing light to our eyes. How could you go wrong in following instructions like these? They sound pretty special. And I think that's the point the writer goes on to make next. Let's take a look at verse 10. It says, They are more precious than gold, 
than much pure gold, and they are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Can you see how special they are to the writer? But if we go back to the original question, what is God really like? Well, what do God's instructions have to say about that? Well, I think for a start, what does it say when the creator of the universe, who made the heavens, the skies and the sun, bothers to provide us with written instructions on how we should live? Well, I think it shows he really does care about what we do. And what does it say when those instructions are mainly for our benefit? Well, I think it shows that he more than cares. I think it shows he loves us. Does this start to give us a sense of what God is really like? And I suppose I've been a bit lazy calling the law, statutes, precepts, commands, fear and decrees of of the Lord just instructions because it really doesn't do them justice. These things, well, they are the written word of God. They are the scriptures. They are the Bible. And they are so much more than God's instructions to us because through the Bible, God reveals what he's really like because we read about his son, Jesus. And the opening of the book of Hebrews sums it up really clearly. It's up on the screen and it says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Bible says that God speaks to us and reveals himself most clearly through his son Jesus. But how? Well, here's another verse that helps uh, from 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 9. It says... This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God speaks volumes about his love for us through Jesus' death on the cross. He couldn't say it any more clearly than sacrificing his own son. So, if you really want to know God, the Bible says, look to Jesus. His life and his death and what it means for us, it's all captured in the Bible. So where does this leave us? Well, maybe you've seen God in creation in the heavens, in the sky, in the sun, but perhaps you haven't, you haven't really had the chance to know God. If that's you, why not pick up a Bible and have, it look, have a look about what it says um, about Jesus? Maybe you could start by reading through a gospel like Mark. Or if you'd like to read the Bible with other people, come along to one of our Bible study groups. Um, they meet fairly regularly. Um, And it's a very casual and friendly environment to look into the Bible. Another thing we could do is to thank God for revealing himself to us through creation, through the scriptures, and through his son. 
we can thank him that even though he created the universe, he also gave us the Bible and sent his son to die for us. We can thank him that we don't have to go far to find him. And lastly, Lyndon will be taking us through Hosea over the next few weeks at church. And I think it would be great for us to start reading the book of Hosea so that we can know God better and so our lives can change, so we can refresh our souls, become more wise, experience the joy of knowing God through Jesus and have that light our path.